comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here because he's a bit of a Freddy cat when it comes to the horror genre. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discussing new movies weekly. However, every, however, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, be it one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. This is falling into that latter category, something completely different. Um, uh, this it's October as we're recording this episode, and that means Halloween is at the end of this month. I love horror movies. I have many guests on the show that love horror movies, and one of them, who's not on this actual episode of the podcast, but will be in the coming weeks, Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com, he suggested to me that we should do a series of horror-themed episodes where we talk about like horror movies over the the the, the long years of cinema since their existence, and I thought that was a great idea. And so our decision based on that was to do um, a, a series of bonus episodes for every week of this month, every Friday this month. In October 2014, we're going to have a new bonus episode focused on a, a, a few decades or a decade in the, the genre of horror films. So this is the first week of this. Uh, we're calling it The Earliest Days or Horror colon Origins, uh, which is a wonderful suggestion by one of the guests, which I'll introduce right now. Um, we have joining me today uh, from Naptown Nerd and YSoBlue.com, Brandon Peters. Hi, let's get scary. <laughs> and from StarPulse.com, Jason Coleman. Yes, 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 it's time to get scared. <laughs> and yeah, um, ideally we'll have Jimmy O from Joe Blow as well in future episodes, but for now, um, it's just the three of us tonight. Um, this I, I find this to be an ambitious idea for a weekly series of bonus podcast episodes as it is, and it already has proven to be too ambitious because we can't even get all four three guests that I wanted to have on this episode. Um, but as it stands, that's what we're doing. Um, I wish I had that rock doll that Jimmy always plays, where, <laughs> yeah. where, where he played on the previous podcast, where yeah. it's like, hey, whatever. I don't even remember what the thing was, but I'll, I'll try to chime in once in a while and bring the, uh, the, the memory of Jimmy to this particular podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <so. laughs> okay. well, yeah, I'm glad to have you guys here. I'd be glad to have Jimmy as well, but you guys are more than enough because you are both fountains of information when it comes to horror knowledge. I would say, uh, that's, which is why I have you on this podcast with me. I, I do my best as well, but you know, you guys know a lot more obscure titles than I do, especially when we get to kind of the later decades. Um, but as it stands right now, we're going to talk about, as I said, the early days of horror. So I just kind of want to kind of jump right in. Yeah, we're going to focus on like the, you know, the silent film era, the third, and then followed up with the 30s and the 40s and kind of stop there. Then the next episode will go into kind of the 50s and the 60s and we'll proceed from there. Um, but with that said, Let's just kind of start. The, we're gonna be kind of fine on the seat of our seat of our pants here as we kind of make this discussion work. So if that 
Right. Well, I think when I, when you go into the 1920s, you know, the first the first film, you know, you have to really consider and and think is, you know, I remember Roger Ebert saying he thought it was one of the the, the first horror film would be the co- the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. was from 1920, the, the German, the, the silent German film and and mm. uh, just a real kind of um, uh, uh, eye opener in terms of things that could be done on film. Yeah, it's a it's a film I haven't seen in a long time, but I know Kino um they're releasing a blue. They have a Blu-ray coming out of it. Brandon, you yeah. know this, right? Yeah. In November, yeah, November last year they did Nosferatu, and then this year's Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I've, I mean, it, it'll be probably awesome set, and like it's just really eye-opening to see it restored to possibly what it looked like, you know, when it first was released instead of these ratty like VHS and DVD prints. I mean, I, I was really, I really liked the, the their Nosferatu they released last year. And with and that's that's I mean that's another obvious good call as far as you know early horror films go and yeah. with these I mean you get a lot of this is I, the the or like how, Jason do you know this do, do you yes, know this yes, about yes. that's kind of the where this kind of genre kind of came from I know like German expressionism that movement right. was a big part of it obviously mm-hmm. do you have more right I know I, th- I well I mean I think it was I think it was just out of out of the uh, it was absolutely what you said out of German expressionism you know out of out of you know really stark images with really uh, really you know booming crashing music and uh, you know it, it, no people hadn't seen uh, visual stark visuals of this type so you had things like that you had you know the Jekyll and early Jekyll and Hyde you had I mean there was a lot of there was a lot of great stuff um, there's a lot of Jekyll and Hyde's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of different variations, especially <laughs> that was adapted a lot. That and like Hunchback of Notre Dame were right. constantly adapted. Right, and it was—I mean, it was so ahead of its time that Nosferatu, of course, couldn't even use the, uh, the the Count Dracula thing, you know, because of the rights and stuff. So they had to kind of, you know, take that, take it to a different level and a different. And of course, Max Schreck is now is that that performance is famous for uh, for for creating something that that unique that no Dracula ever kind of came up with. So. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Yeah, right. and they didn't care about film preservation either because they tried to have every print of it destroyed. Right, the right. Of a lawsuit, so it's like nobody's <laughs> ever going to see this. Right, and there was one print that slipped out. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So whew. it was. Yeah, thank God because it, you know, it. it that thing's a. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it ended. I mean, it ended up being you know being uh, one of the most celebrated uh, early horror films ever so i mean yeah. yeah it reminds me of the digital age now where they're sort of putting everything to digital and and kind of worrying about the restoration later so i think restoration is i think that's a classic example of why uh you know preserving films and restoring films are is definitely important because nosferatu is a, is a classic in the genre it's interesting to watch a film because i i that was a that was one of my top uh, 10 i think it was on you Brandon, yep. myself, and uh, Gerard Aribe of Weiss Blue. I think it was on all three of our top ten Blu-ray lists last year because it's uh, such a he put the, he put the uh, region two the, uh, the, uh, the other version, version of it. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, obviously the three of us among you know, many yeah. other people obviously have a, a fondness for that film. And I uh, Nosferatu that movie it's uh, like I can't say I guess I'm not, I can't say I'm scared by it because I think it's pretty hard to be scared by any movie from the 20s or 30s or 40s at this point, right. um, but. You watch that in the right setting, and I say this about like Halloween or Texas Chainsaw, where you've seen them so many times, where they're not necessarily scary anymore, but you certainly acknowledge what they're doing. Uh, with a film like Nosferatu, I feel like it's the same way. Where if I watch it in the right setting, if the if I have the music loud enough, and I'm like in the right state of mind, I could probably be creeped out by that film still. I, I, I think it just oh, has yeah. such an interesting use of kind of shadows, let alone you know the the match track performance, which is such a you know an otherworldly piece of work of what he's doing of 
I don't even know what the direction would be besides just look creepy. I guess we have to watch Shadow of a Vampire to see what they were going for with that one. But right, or yeah. even you could, or you could even take it one step further with the Phantom of the Opera. Of course, mm-hmm. Lon Chaney doing yeah. the Phantom of the Opera in 1925. That that one, you know, that one. I mean, that the, the face is iconic. You know, I, I remember growing up and my dad had an old school, um, you know, horror book. You know, from films from you know way back then, and and that that image, that stark image of the of the kind of you know uh, the make a made up face of uh, of Lon Chaney is. is is, is iconic, so yeah. That one, I mean, that because, one would freak you out, I think. Hopefully, yeah. Because like Nosferatu was like released and then like taken away from the public, and you know, it's not like you could see it in any way. But like that's the that's the face of like probably the, I'd say the twenties that was the face of horror was the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, that's just right. hugely iconic. And when you think of that era, I mean, that's that's the big face that goes over it Absolutely. easily. And you know, one thing I want to put with these old films that kind of they have going for them. Is there's a, there's like a creepy vibe to some of the, the aesthetic of these old films too, and their frame rate and what they look like and movements and stuff kind of look different. And and some people are like you know get creeped out by old photos and 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 uh, old film that had that kind of just feels unsettling. And when you're showing an unsettling story too, that kind of adds to it as well. That's a good point. What do you think wins in the Lon Chaney Max Shrek death match? By the way. Mm, I got I mean, for me, I got to go, I mean, for creepiness, I mean, for originality, you'd have to go with Max Schreck, but for creepiness, yeah. I, I think I would have to go with Lon Chaney because that, that, that face, it's just, I even, I mean, as soon as I even remembered it, I, it just, it creeped me right out. So I, I would have to go with Lon Chaney, but for originality, I mean, that's why Shadow of the Vampire was such a fascinating movie because you got to sort of see insight into how weird he was in that process. So from a creative standpoint, definitely, but from a creepy standpoint, I'm going with Lon Chaney. Do you think Max Shrek would be considered one of the original method actors? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way. <laughs> yeah, it would have been interesting to be on that set. <laughs> I mean, that's Shadow of the he's, Vampire. He's, he's like, he's, yeah. like a, he's like the Claus Ginsky of his day. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that too. But I mean, that's a, that's that's a fascinating. Like, cause I, I got to see that. Um, Earlier this year, the 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 Nosferatu, the the Werner Hertz, the the Werner Herzog uh, Nosferatu, and uh, at a Cine family uh, up in in Los Angeles, and that's that's such a. I, and I, I'm pretty sure I watched Nosferatu, the original Nosferatu, not too far earlier, just to kind of so I have it, so I had it in mind just to kind of get an interesting look at how you know how these movies kind of match up because they're both rather brilliant in what they're doing. Um, but yeah, that's a. Especially given that that film's you know full color and sound and everything, it's such a neat. That's a neat you know neat idea for how to remake a movie given where we yeah. are today with horror remakes. That's a that's a trip. Totally, you can hold those two films up right together back to back, and you don't have to compare them. They're both solid in their own right. I mean, they're both basing off the same material. They both have you know this sort of not same style, but are borrowing you know, one's borrowing ideas from another, but. They're totally in their own leagues, and I don't feel like the, the, the urge to like compare or whatever. It's, there's like an appreciation for both. It's the kind of thing that Gus Van Sant failed at with his Psycho remake, where that film <laughs> is just like, let's try this as a weird experiment because why not? Where yeah. Werner Herzog clearly has a kind of res- I mean, I'm not saying Gus Van Sant didn't have a respect for Hitchcock's film, but I mean, it 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 seems like it came from the right place where what Herzog was doing, as opposed to what Gus Van Sant was doing. It's like, yeah, yeah, good watching. I got clout. Why not? What's like that's the <laughs> right. And it was interesting to see you know, mentioning both 
of those films. It's interesting to see the the initial inception of makeup and special makeup effects and things like that. You know, just in the just in their infancy um, with both uh, Nosferatu and Phantom of the Opera to sort of see yeah. you know where that would take us and 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 the different stages that that once we go into the 30s and the 40s that would that would you know start to get even more interesting. So and that's really. Thing. That's, that's really where I want to get into, unless you have more to say about the 20s, because the 30s does introduce a lot of oh, absolutely, very yeah. interesting things. I mean, I, I mean, we're talking to, we're talking around things of you know like developing kind of early visual effects and what and makeup and whatnot, and, and you know James Wales Frankenstein is a key example of all that. I mean, that's a movie that relies heavily on just on art direction, production design, and you know obviously the the Karloff performance. I mean, there's there's a ton there that just shows like where you know in 10 years of of horror where things have gotten at that point where it's just like, look at, look at how creative this can be. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, the thirties are, are very heavily with universal. I mean, they were very, you know, um, uh, gung ho about, it seems about, about, you know, getting a lot of these great characters made and stuff. So it's interesting. It's interesting that universal doesn't do a ton of horror movies now, but they were kind of in the thirties, you know, uh, they were the, 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 the makers behind. Yeah. Of all of those. Yeah, they were like the big, the, the, pre you know pre like a hammer pre yeah you know like whatever you know hot stew like pre new line pre you know lionsgate they were building their rep on like horror um before like we move on but like there's a character that from like the early days that was a popular one that just didn't seem to carry on and we don't see much going back to is the golem oh yeah from like mm. the 20s that was like a there's like a three four i don't know how many movies made based off that Right, right, right. That character, and then that's one that just I didn't seem to carry over later on too much. He's kind of faded. I mean, if you ask someone now or more modern, they probably wouldn't think of Lord of the Rings more with Gollum than yeah, The last two instances of Gollum that I've heard are in Sleepy Hollow, which of course Brandon, yes. you and I host the Icapod Crane Cast, where we talk about Sleepy Hollow, and there's an episode <laughs> about the Gollum. Um, or, you know, a form of the Golem, and, of course, the Cullen Brothers of Serious Man, which begins with a story about the Golem. So, I mean, yes, there's, right. in terms of, like, hardcore horror films, yeah, we haven't really seen that in a long time. That is that yeah. is an interesting guy. That's, especially because it's, you know, it's from Jewish folklore. And yeah. the la- what was that movie with um, the comedian? What's his name? Um, the guy that played the comedian, The Watchman. Um, what's the three names? Oh, um... The Losers. Um... Oh, geez. Right on the tip of my tongue, I should know this. Uh, he's, he's not Javier Bardem, but... Uh, I, keep, I, I know, I keep... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we're, we're right there. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Killing me. He had that movie, The Possession, a couple of years back. Um, right, okay. right. Um, and that movie, that, I mean, that was that was based around a, a kind of... A, a, an antique box where it, you know it's set it's based based off like Jew, Jewish folklore a, a, a Dybbuk box um, which is like a Jewish demon and that was that's like the closest we've gotten to seeing like some form of a golem coming back into kind of the now wait 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 I, I beg to differ there's one I remember and it oh, was yeah? from it was from I, I can't remember what year of it was but it was Tales from the Dark Side the one with Christian Slater okay. and uh, it was the third story with James Remar uh, and Ray Dong Chong. Uh, and that one had a golem in it. If you if you watch, I think you'll I think you'll see that one. That yeah, one, but how old that, Tales from the Dark Side? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was eighties, yeah. wasn't it? Or nineteen ninety or something, something like that? Yeah. No, no, no. I said yeah. <laughs> but I think like nineteen. We've jumped way ahead. Like, what are we talking? Sorry, about? sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just want to slip that in there, man. I remember that one. 
It was a good Gold's match. not dead, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, the one, one of the main takeaways from this first podcast episode is that we need more golems in our horror movies. I think that's really what we're saying. <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely. We also have um, uh, the famous Lost film that no one's seen, London After Midnight, as well. We were talking about chaining our first horror superstar, but um, the the one where he plays like apparently plays a vampire, and there's like, oh, right, a, right, like right, right. a picture or two from it. But it's this film is one of like the most sought after films because yeah, it's it's completely lost apparently. But people are hoping one day something surfaces so they can see the movie. You see on Wikipedia, it says the last known copy was destroyed in the 1967 MGM Vault Fire. Yeah, that that was early Todd Browning, who of course went on to do a bunch yeah. of. So yeah, wow. I think was his next mm. film Dracula after that, or did uh, he? It's best far? known for Dracula, but let's right. see. He might have. Mm. It looks like he has a lot of movies here. <laughs> yeah. He probably, I mean, 1927 was London After Midnight, so yeah, he probably did a couple more. Dracula, yeah, yeah he's workhorse directors. Right, but his next, yeah, his next, his next um, uh, horror film was Dracula. Yeah. All right. Nice. All right. And after midnight, he did Outside the Law, which is not a Steven Seagal film. <laughs> uh, we should we should debate why Steven Seagal hasn't done a horror movie and why he should do a horror movie in one of our when we get to the two thousands era. Seems nice. Like it seems like he's ripe for doing a horror role, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Um, Justice. Yeah. <laughs> he protects the he protects the Eskimos. Bro. I don't know where to go. Um, <laughs> anyway, where are we going? The 30s, right? We're at the right. 30s now. We're the uh, 30s. 31 is a huge year. We got we got Dracula and and Frankenstein and Doctor yes. Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Dracula yeah. was a big. It was kind of risky at the time, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yes. you know, and uh, and uh, you know, Bella Lugosi. His, it, it, what's interesting is you watch that movie, and his performance is so theatrical and very, you know, it, it's 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 really something that that I think set a tone for 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 that kind of that kind of film um, and the grandiose nature of of Dracula. So you could watch it now and go, oh, it's kind of big and over the top, but it was it was it was a it was a very theatrical kind of film. I felt for sure. Yeah, I mean, you see, at... He came from the the stage play. To right, do, I mean, right. he was dragging the stage play because they wanted Browning wanted Lon Chaney, and that didn't mm-hmm. happen because uh, Chaney passed away, right? I think that's yeah. He died. Early. He died. He died. Lon Chaney died. He was like in his late forties. It was it was like cancer, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Right. And then like the studio did not want Lugosi. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, and yeah, he gives it. But he, I mean, later on, I mean, as we come, time has passed. He's he's the reason to watch this movie. Like, oh, yeah. It's kind of a slower dragging movie, and it's upstaged by its Spanish counterpart, which they had the benefit of like <laughs> filming after and fixing things that were wrong with the English version, and it's a little more, a little more creative um, camera work to it. And the Dracula is not as good as Lugosi. Like if you could put Lugosi in the Spanish version, you'd have it ideal. But that one moves a little better. I mean, they they learned from the mistakes of the early day earlier in the day production of of the English Dracula. What you couldn't beat was that was that was that close-up shot, you know, with the with the special eye light that just showed yes. the, the the creepy eyes of Lugosi. You know, that's what I yeah. remember when I think of well, yeah. Lugosi's Dracula. It's that it's that it's that stare. It's those eyes. It's the, yeah, those abandoned stare. Yeah, that's <laughs> one thing they didn't have. Like, and that's a lot of of this Lugosi because the other guy who they they got for the Spanish Dracula doesn't have what 
Lugosi has, but yeah. Right, right, right. It's, it's, just, it's interesting because you have Dracula, you know, you have this Dracula that's, you know, a, a, thra- a theatrical performance and it's a more romanticized version of that character where you look back at Nosferatu and he's basically this like creepy zombie that happens to have money. So it's like, <laughs> you can see why Dracula has been such an immortal figure uh, over time, not just because, you know, Bram Stoker's book's one thing, but seeing that performance come to life through Vela Lugosi's another and that's, where you have so many movie monsters that don't necessarily have the greatest of personalities, something like Dracula or vampires in general, there's a reason why those are more generally inherently interesting as far as kind of horror characters go rather than, you know, Brantless Zombies or Michael Myers or whatnot. It's more of what's going on around those things as opposed to Dracula where he's, you know, the most interesting thing in the room when it's on. And then you, oh, you have Renfield, too. He's, he's Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's other great. things of the Dracula film, of course. But, I mean, Dra- yeah. <laughs> you look at Dracula, you're not thinking about... You'll think about Renfield, maybe, but you think Dracula, you think Dracula. You think about Lugosi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> whereas, right like, yes. whereas, like, Frankenstein, I like Karl- Karloff makes her a fantastic Frankenstein, but I picture a lot of things when I think about Frankenstein. And oh, yeah. Just, you know, the actual, the, the actual monster. Uh, I think about Frank, the character of Frankenstein, or I think right, about you know right, the key right. scenes involving the Frankenstein character, but not necessarily just because of Frankenstein being that scene, just because James I Whale mean, had such imaginative ideas for how to you know put this, bring this thing to to the screen. Right, there's good drama going around around Frankenstein mm-hmm. that you know doesn't deal with just you know the monster, um, and then it's also I mean the photography in that movie is outstanding. Like yeah. I could st- I could pause that movie and you know <laughs> cut it out and frame it and put it in my house anywhere I wanted to. I love so many of the shots from that movie, especially when they're grave digging. There's some really good stuff there. That's a great example. I mean, Frank, it's because it's, you know, universal horror monster movie. It's you, you jump like ahead in time to like, you know, when like French New Way was infecting American cinema. You look at Frankenstein as this kind of German expressionism affecting American cinema. Like, right. And it's like you you're suddenly like you're in this you see where the influences of you know silent films of the 20s from German from Europe from Europe have now like come into like Universal's like you know what we're gonna try this and here's James Whale with like all these crazy ideas of how to kind of show shadows and show mixed with you know interesting set designs and whatnot to give you this kind of at the time very eerie and off kilter film. And it's, right, it's 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 definitely yeah. an interest an interesting kind of an interesting kind of leap from the 20s to the 30s because you still have that that kind of uh, no dialogue showmanship in the in in each of the monsters in in Dracula in Frankenstein, but now they've added another layer of you know good performances, and I I agree. I think you know Colin Clive, who you know played Frank, so I th- I thought he was fantastic in that. Oh yeah. Movie. So I mean, when I I don't you know I agree. I don't just think of Karloff. I definitely think of his you know his performance and and uh, and how uh, and how fanatic and cool it was. And I would also go as far as to say the um, the other one that I really liked was uh, Claude Rains in The Invisible Man because it was like taking the, the idea of taking, you know, um, not your stereotypical hero, you know, and adding elements of menace and mm-hmm. dislikability and cool things like that, which, again, we don't even do today sometimes. We're so safe and geriatric. So doing something like that is even, you know, back back in the 30s was, was, uh, was groundbreaking as far as I'm concerned. So I love the idea of these these creatures and these people that have multiple sides and, and, uh, and, are, and are interesting and layered like that, so. Where else can we go? What else do we want to bring up from the 30s here? There's plenty of... Oh, okay. well, uh, oh, wait, Hidden Gem? 
hidden sure. gem, hidden gem from the thirties, you know, bringing up, cause I do a forgotten Friday flick every, every, uh, every Friday. So what on Star Pulse. So what I would say that, that was my, my hidden gem would be freaks. I don't know if you guys saw that, but one, oh, of, nice. us. Freaks. one yes. of us. Oh, that is a great piece of work. Now, anybody who hasn't seen freaks, it's not freaks, the Alex Winter film. It's freaks. The Todd um, Browning, another Todd yes, Browning film. Right. Made in 1932. And it, it, it's a trip, man. I, I won't even spoil it. You know, <laughs> it, obviously it has to, obviously to do with sideshow carnival freaks and that kind of thing, but you really should if you haven't seen it it's definitely a hidden gem freaks todd browning 1932 i would i would uh, it stands up man it's tasty one of uh, i can't wait to see <laughs> how american horror story tries to rip off freaks and get away <laughs> <laughs> very cool and that was and this is such a crazy tangent but like the the, the clerks animated television show that only right. people that are huge fans of kevin smith you know really right. have actually seen he has like the most random reference to 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 freaks in like one of those episodes where like right. where these like two characters just saying one of us the whole yes. time it's like who's gonna get this that's why that show's not <laughs> that's why that show's not in like its eighth season that's why it got canceled yeah. after two right. episodes but it's hilarious <laughs> uh, yeah freaks that's a is that out on blu-ray yet? does that have a Release? I think I think it has one. I think something came out last year for it or something. I'm not sure. I find that. I want to yeah. say yes. Would be. I, I'm, if they don't have a special edition of it, they definitely should. So it's it's. Uh, but it's definitely a little hidden gem that I think a lot of people maybe don't know about. So definitely check that one out. Uh, speaking of smaller movies, uh, 30s and Boris Karloff, there is the film White mm-hmm. Zombie, which is a. Uh, there you go. No, it is the, the kind of the first zombie film. Zombie film, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd call it the kind of the, the great grandfather of zombie films. Where Night of the Living Dead is the grandfather of all of all zombie films. <laughs> but yeah, the white zombie. Uh, do you like this movie? Like I. It's, 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 it's okay. It's as good as it, it's about as good as its sequel, Revolt of the Zombies in '36. But <laughs> it, 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 you know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. It's definitely not. I mean, I, I think it's not on everybody's tongue because it's not one of the best films ever made. But it definitely has it has moments. It is it is one of the first full length zombie movies. So um, you know, if you if you've gone through a lot of the stuff and you still are you know you're a big Bella Lugosi fan, I, I would still say it's worth seeing. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like it's more of just like a, if you want to really feel in touch with your inner zombie, or you really want to catch up on the Carlos <laughs> or Carlos, the Lugosi stuff, then right. you know check out White Zombie. But it doesn't feel like a like a real classic, I guess. In the right, it's yeah. more of a, a horror educational tool. Yeah, kind of. There you, you go back. If you're it. really into it, you're you got you know your checklist of each decade of things to see. It's it's on there. You, it's not one of your best your favorite classes, but you take it. Absolutely. Once again, another Karloff here, um, just to kind of, uh, to kind of to kind of round out the Universal monsters. We have the Mummy, of course. We haven't talked about the Mummy yet. Oh yeah, and it's not like what you think with the Mummy, the first one. The, the sequels to it would would get to where it's traditional thoughts on the Mummy, but he's not like all wrapped up and stuff. He's just like unique looking like creature, which is right. He's terrifying a, in its own right. Right, and he's an Egyptian priest, you know. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot it's, of, I mean, that's why I really like that Stephen Summers mummy film with Brandon Freight. I think it does a good job of kind of incorporating various elements of different mummy films from the from the early days and making it into kind of a its new modern kind of spin on it, which is just a more fun adventure movie that happens to have mummies in it. But. Like Indiana Jones with mummies. Exactly, which is fun. Like, what it is. Um, and, again, and again, an interesting character by Karloff that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's got multiple sides, you know, that definitely has his own his own agendas and just I, I love that you know it's it's amazing going back to these movies and seeing how interesting and e- even if some of them are maybe over the top or a little more theatrical how 
how how how uh, how multiple uh, multiply layered they are. It's it's kind of surprising and cool. Definitely. And uh, these monsters, though, they, it you with how popular they were, they didn't get sequels for like a while. Like four was it four years or so? Yeah, like. Um... Yeah, 31's Frankenstein, so 35's Bride of Frankenstein. Right. Um, and then Dracula's Daughter followed that. Right, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, I just found a Golem movie in the 30s. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Son of Frankenstein. Um, I'm trying to find the next Mummy movie, which I don't think is for a while, it looks like. Um, maybe the Mummy didn't come back to the 40s, maybe? Perhaps, yeah. I haven't checked yeah, he yet. didn't. Yeah. Uh, Mummy's Hand, 1940. Mm. Right, right. But, yeah, so, yeah, you started getting more, like, Dracula. You got Bride of Frankenstein and Dracula's Daughter and Son of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein, by the way, is is, is, is wonderful. It's the, yes. <laughs> it, that's my, that's, I, I like that one more, more than Frankenstein, which, it's, you know, almost splitting hairs, but that movie, is so, that is, that's such a, a great representation of James Whale being like, you know what? Now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Here we go. And yes, he, he just accomplished some like some terrific just ideas for visuals and, and things like that. Just of the the way he incorporates weird like experiment stuff um, in, in involving the what's the character's name? I can't think of them for the life of me. Um, whatever. But I mean, it's just, it's just I, I really I I love Bride of Frankenstein. That's a I remember saying that for like the I I saw Frank. When I saw Frankenstein, I was really young, and I never saw Bride of Frankenstein until I think I was in maybe like junior high, and I saw that movie. Was like, this is this is crazy. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's like it's like it's it's a weird like. Look at this sequel. It's like funnier, but still like really effective for what it's doing. Right, and it, and, it, and, and well, I mean, it also. It, I mean, no wonder you like Bride of Frankenstein. It also kept that theatricalness going. So, mm-hmm. I mean, their 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 monsters bride, you know, their the the Frankenstein woman is just as, if not equally, um, uh, uh, as theatrical and interesting looking as you know as the Boris Karloff himself. So it's, I mean, now you remember the the crazy hair and the flowing white, you know. Uh, yeah stripe and everything and it's yeah it's great stuff and she doesn't show up to like the very end yeah, yeah absolutely the, the, t- the title character doesn't show up to the very end and um people complain about you know jason taking manhattan that he didn't get there till the last like 20 <laughs> of the movie but bride of frankenstein they won't complain that she doesn't show up till like the last five minutes and that has uh, to be the most amazing comparison reference i've ever heard there you go yes uh <laughs> Well, the Army of Darkness doesn't happen until the third act. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Um, Doctor Pretorius—that's the name I'm, I'm trying okay. to. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Bride of Frankenstein also has that weird meta opening to it yeah. too, which is kind of crazy in its own right. It definitely sets the tone for what's what's coming, but it's very, very interesting. It's the kind of thing that, like, if there was an internet back then, this would be like that response to the internet thing. It's like, there's a sequel. How could there be a sequel? <laughs> they would tear it. They, yeah. <laughs> well, the internet would tear up everything these days. Yes. We, we, we would never get to... Frankenstein! <laughs> More like Bored of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I like that there's like some 20s spinster apparently typing these tweets. Yeah, we never yeah, get this. Yeah, Frankenstein! I thought it would definitely... He'd be recast, man. He'd be recast with somebody younger, so... Yeah. <laughs> Why is uh, that Robinson hosting this yeah. internet session? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, but, have you guys seen Dracula's Daughter? I know that's a sequel that not a lot of people. No, I never saw that. It's it's okay. It's just it's it's really slow. It's interesting. Um, but like, yeah, there's no Dracula. 
and it and it and it's loosely it feels yeah, it's his daughter. His da- yeah, it's, <laughs> how does yeah, a do- how does a daughter come about? She comes to this castle. It's really I, <laughs> it's hard to remember. It's not. I mean, it's and it's it's just it's got some like hints of lesbianism to it, like some very well, light. Now. Hints now now I'm it? watching it for sure. We're talking 1930s, <laughs> like you've got to really look, and somebody probably <laughs> tried really hard. But I mean, it's it's okay. It's just kind of it doesn't feel very attached. I think Van Helsing might be in it. Yeah, it's uh, I'm looking at. Is it. he in there? Okay, yeah. But yeah, and it's really interesting that like later we'll talk about Hammer. Hammer's second Dracula film didn't have Dracula in it either. You know what I really like about these uh, Universal horror movies, by the way, all their posters are amazing. Like, oh yeah, these are, they're just works of well, art. We're gonna go with great posters till about like 1996, and then they start yeah tapering off, floating heads. Um, the, the, yeah. the, the the scream generation, where it's like, look yeah. how hot these kids are. Right. Well, I mean, it was all because it was all artwork. You know, it was all these guys. You know, doing doing amazing artwork and and. Uh, and uh, it's just it's not done as much anymore. But there's a few. There's still if you count today, there's a few people oh, yeah. that still do it. Like uh, Kiko Stromberg, who does a lot of um, a lot of uh, Magna Magnolia titles. There's a few. There's a few people out there who still who still do drawing. But oh, it yeah. is it definitely is rare. So it's and those were those were the classic days. That's and I think that to me, you know, being a huge poster collector, that's why those posters are really so in demand. Obviously, the films are classic and that kind of stuff. But when you see that kind of artwork, it's just it yeah. is artwork. So. Um, definitely the golden age of, of uh, oh, I would love to have collected posters back in those days. Oh. Well, and you'd think, too, with, with how popular it is, that maybe the, they'd think, like, hey, maybe we should go back to some more, like, traditional-style posters, but apparently right. kids today are, like, amazed by Photoshop jobs. I don't... I don't. I don't know. I mean, but... Brandon, I've seen some pretty cool memes in just the past five minutes that we were talking about this. So I don't know. I mean, okay. who needs oh, posters? Yeah. Who needs posters? I got like, there's a cat with like rainbow shooting out of its eyes, and it says like tough love or something. So I mean, that's an amazing thing, right there. <laughs> that's right. just as that's just as good as anything. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny. Like it's mainly like a lot of the problems are like the Blu-ray cases or DVD cases when they they change the art on that. Like mm-hmm. for example, like recently, like Bachelor Party. What was wrong with that poster? How right, does that yeah. poster not sell to everyone? Instead, you just put Tom Hanks' face on is, some new airbrush. And oh, is that, that what they did? I was going to oh, say, yeah, it, it had to have been just Tom Hanks' face. Yeah, it was just a white background, Tom Hanks close-up. <laughs> well, I think but, like, Tom, the, Tom Hanks wasn't, wasn't as huge as he was, so now they're just cashing no, in. I don't but, think they're doing... Well, he's clearly there on the original poster right, artwork, right, and it right, kind of right. sells what the movie is, too. Right. But <laughs> yeah, It's a great but, poster. I have, I have that poster. I love that poster. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So um, I looking up and down with the Universal. It looks like in between like Dracula, Frankenstein. It was like Karloff and Lugosi team ups, or Karloff solo and Lugosi solo. That's pretty much they were their like day players. Yeah, pretty right. much yeah. up and down. Yeah, they teamed up for the Black Cat. Looks like Black it's Cat, the Raven. Well, the son, of Fra- son of Frankenstein has Basil Rathbone, Boris Karloff, mm-hmm. and Bela Lugosi. I mean, that's. Son of Frankenstein is terrific too. I I really like that one a lot. And um, Lugosi's Igor, like everybody doesn't realize that Igor doesn't show up to like the third movie, and he's some bearded creepo guy, <laughs> obsessed with bringing Frankenstein back. And I, I really think that's a, a terrific little movie. That trilogy of where Karloff was the monster is just great. I think it's one of the greatest all time trilogies personally, because I think I think because of how great Bride is, and then the original Frankenstein is the original. But I think. Frank, Son of Frankenstein is just as strong as those. It just gets overlooked because maybe it's the third one. 
down the line, but there's like Lugosi is, I would say almost as good here as he was in Dracula. Like he's incredibly iconic if you see it. Was there a fourth Frankenstein movie? Or... Yeah. Oh, there's a ton. There's I mean, Ghost yeah, but... of Frankenstein. There's I mean, there's they all start leading up to the the major team ups because. Yeah, I was gonna say the '40s was a, if you if you look at the '40s, it Let's really is. Let's go to the yeah. '40s. Let's right, it is a kind of a cavalcade uh, of of like of, Invisible Man sequels. Yeah, like, sequels. All. Like all of a sudden, everybody went, okay, maybe Universal aren't morons, and we're gonna follow in their footsteps. So yeah. everybody was gonna make a you know another movie and make more sequels and stuff. So you got, I mean, there's a ton. There's there's yeah, Invisible Man. There's Mummy stuff. There's I mean, there's a ton. It's More funny because you, you look at today, and this is, again, like, internet culture, how it infects people. But you look at today, people complaining about all these remakes and sequels all the time. In the 40s, which is considered one of the best decades of film of all time, it is full of sequels and oh, remakes yeah. of things. Like, Wait, we had, exactly we had, where we are. We had, like, eight Jacqueline Hydes before 1920 happened. Like, yeah. I mean, that was... I mean, Hitchcock's remaking his own stuff in the 40s. Like, there's, there's so many things going on this decade. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I mean it's it's always been that way. It's just there's more. I I'd say like you know there's more movies per year just in general. But I don't even know if that's true. I mean maybe it like in terms if there's some ratio perhaps it might might be like different. But I mean films were being made like in two hours back in the day. <laughs> like they were just churning things true. out. True. Like, I mean yeah, we only know of what we know of. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is true. But yeah. The, um. What is it? Lon Chaney Jr. played Frankenstein coming into the 40s. Right. Um, and actually gave him, you know, when people do the impression of him, like, with his arms out or whatever, and, like, it, it actually comes from one that's of these sequels where he's, like, blind, and that's why he's got his arms his arms out. He can't see. It's amazing but, to see how these tropes get picked up, and, like, those are the things that are remembered despite what... It's remembered despite it from. never happened in... Yeah. The first Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein, which are the most popular film, but like I think it's Ghost of Frankenstein where this happens that everybody remembers it. A lot, a lot of this is why I love Young Frankenstein so much as well. It feels like it's like it's like a Shaun of the Dead where it, it feels like it's its own entry into the genre while still being one that just completely understands what those movies were doing at the time. Right. Absolutely. And of course, oh, you. Oh, go ahead. Oh no no go ahead. No, I was going to say, and of course, in 1941, you had the uh, the uh, the Lon Chaney Jr. which yeah, of course that's exactly which, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah it's a, I mean that's, that's that's and and again, you know, iconic for a bunch of different things, you know, only for his performance and 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 the the interest of that character and and the layeredness of that character, but also you know the the makeup, you know the um, uh, the the slow uh, uh, yes, camera dissolve makeup. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that of course that that just you know. Uh, ballooned you know later on in, in years it, for every you know uh, person that took on the wolfman kind of story that's a great so, cast in that movie you got lon cheney claude rains bella lugosi and ralph bellamy oh yeah <laughs> early ralph bellamy yeah free free trading places yeah, yeah wolfman, wolfman was so popular it like fueled the end run of the 40s for i mean it would start in 1941 but that movie is so popular it, like reinvested everybody in universal and they got to keep going yeah, Wolfman yeah, truly is like one of the saddest characters for me because I just after after I mean get your howlings and whatnot. There's just not many good werewolf movies anymore. It's, it's, no, and what was the they're last, rare. The last one was the big one was what the the Del Toro the, Benicio, the Benicio Del Toro yeah, one. Is that correct? Yeah. Wolfman, yeah, right, right, right. Which is, right. Which is it's a movie. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Although there was a few, you know, spurts in, in some of these movies, like American Werewolf in London and things like that. So well, yeah, no, I thought, I like, Gin- Ginger Snaps was terrific. American Ginger Werewolf. Snaps was great. Yeah. The Howling's, Howling's a fun little campy movie. American right. Werewolf in London's my go-to when it comes to where, like, I, yeah. as much as I appreciate Wolfman and certain things, like, when it comes to, like, a werewolf movie, American Werewolf in London's, like, my go-to. I think that transformation's just amazing, let alone just that movie's such a great, it's a great comedy horror genre of mix-up and has such a, we'll get there. We'll get to the eighties. Right. That's later on. But of course, <laughs> yeah, the eighties had a, the eighties had a, like early eighties had like a big werewolf push at one point. Right. There's like a bunch of, bunch of, but movies. to go, but to go from that, you know, again, from that sort of camera dissolving hair, little, you know, growing bits at a time thing from the Wolfman to, to what Rick Baker did, I think is a, is a real testament to, to the craftsmanship of the work. Cause at the time everybody thought, Oh, that's, you know, that's great. And it's still, it's still great. It's still cool. So, and in this um, decade, too, Lon Chaney Jr. played, like, every iconic horror character, pretty much. Oh, yeah. He played, he played a mummy. He played Frankenstein's That's monster. Frank- he played Dracula. <laughs> he played the Wolfman. <laughs> that, and that was, of course, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. <laughs> yeah. A lot of meats, you know. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Uh, my favorite, Abbott Albert Costello. Costello, Abbott right? Costello, yeah. Yeah. Does the, and that's the only other time that uh, Lugosi played Dracula in a Universal film. Was uh, that he played in the first one, and then he played in uh, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. My favorite was always the Mummy plays Gin Rummy with Frankenstein. That's a good one. But um, and the Invisible Man helps him cheat at the end. That's. Uh... That's not a movie. I made that up. But still, there's, yeah, all these meet-up movies. I mean, people were getting thrilled about, like, Batman and Superman. Like, back in the day, like, I can only imagine what the audiences were thinking when they saw, like, just, you know, because there's no trailers or, I mean, there's tra- there's no, like, advance warning besides, like, oh, there's a poster up of what? These two are going to be in the same thing together for, like, the film freaks of that day? Like, that just must have been, like, wonderfully exciting times for them. But it was cool because, I mean, it was actually, it was the actual guys. It was actually Lon Chaney Jr., the Wolfman, doing it. Mm-hmm. problem is now we keep changing casts so much that nobody has a vested interest going, okay, oh, we're going to watch this one character who's played it for a while, you know, go and go up against such and such. We, we, we trade out casts like we trade out, uh, like we trade out Halloween candy. So. Which is, yeah, and that's that's something to give credit to Marvel to, I guess, because they were able to kind of pull something off with this Avengers thing. Yes. Uh, regardless of how new some of these people were playing these characters, it's still like a, it's but quite it's a weird. Piece, yeah. It is weird, though. You get a movie with Boris Karloff not playing Frankenstein's monster, and Frankenstein's monster's in it, played by, like, Bela Lugosi. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. There is a weird quality to some of these things. Right, right. <laughs> but well, kept, I'll do the movie. In, they kept it I'll, in the family. <laughs> yes, I'll do the movie, but I'm not playing him. No, no. <laughs> I'd love to see, like, an hour-long, like, HBO show that's about, like, hor- like families in the 30s where, like, they, like, they're part of this acting business where they, like, <laughs> like you have Long J.D. Long J. Jr., you have these people, like, being raised in this culture of, like, acting in horror films, and, and it's like a family comedy drama. I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Be terrific. Yeah, it's the Karloffs or something. <laughs> They're like, hammer it home this summer on HBO. Um, and, you know, and, and it's so funny. When anytime I think, you know, of, of Bela Lugosi, obviously the initial things, you know, ha- come to mind. But then, of course, the the great work that um, uh, that Martin Landau did and Ed Wood, you know. Bringing, oh, yeah. Bringing, oh, yeah. A, bringing a sparse, you know, Bela to life, you know. It was pretty it was pretty awesome. So I always think of that occasionally when we're when we're talking about Bela Lugosi. So every time you mention him, because I, I actually just watched Ed Wood not too long ago, like, like 
like two weeks ago, actually. And it, 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 he's so good in that movie. It's really, like it, may, it makes me not care that he beat out uh, like Pulp Fiction and Shawshank that year of supporting performances because that like I, I love that the because you know making Ed Wood the idea was like they could have made a whole movie about various parts of Ed Wood's life, but they focused on the whole Lugosi Ed Wood relationship because it really is very sweet and very interesting to see these two combine and yeah uh, martin landau's lugosi it's a, regardless of how accurate it is to the actual man right. it's such a wonderful performance and so like because he's not just like an old man he's you know a junkie and like a, a wash-up actor and it's such a neat thing to see come be you know brought to life which we you know i don't we haven't seen many movies about you know based on the lives of these guys or you know biopics that go over these people from you know that, that used to be icons and where they went from there and stuff like that which i again i think would be interesting to kind of see Oh, definitely. Indeed. Indeed. What else can we get to with the uh... little little cat people in there in 1942? Cat the original people. cat yeah. people. Pre uh, who, oh. pre Schrader. Pre Schrader, right? Of course. Right, 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 right. Surprised that yeah. hasn't been remade again. Yeah, I mean that was a, uh, and I mean, but that, 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 you know, and that was an interesting cast. Obviously, he had had that one. He had had uh, um, Malcolm McDowell, and it's a weird John Hurt. That was that's kind of a weird cast. Interesting, but then he took that out of out of the original cat people, I think was interesting. So a cat people, I think would be prime for like a, like a premium cable uh, show. Like you can make it probably a series for sure. Cause cat at the, when I, you know, I say remake it at the same time, I don't, I think that's probably, it's not remade cause no one's going to see a movie called cat people these days. That, that's not going to be right. taken seriously. <laughs> if, <Right. laughs> if you watch a trailer and you're like, well, this looks pretty, what's it called? Cat people. What's it? What's... <laughs> Even the other one, it wasn't playing up the horror; it was playing up the sensuality of cat people. So it's yeah. like, oh, you had you had uh, what was it was it Natasha uh, Kinski? Natasha was, uh, Kinski, yep. Right, right, right. And she's like, she's her hair's wet, and it's very sensuous, and yeah. And a young Iconic. Annette O'Toole. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. young naked Annette O'Toole in that movie, if I yes. recall correctly. <laughs> very much so, yeah. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> but yeah, so Cat People, of course, had its uh, had its debut in 1942. About a lot of it. We're doing a good job. I'm liking this. This is fun. <laughs> I don't know what else we can go into. I feel like we've covered a lot of the bases. I can tell you right now, it's not like I went out of my way to do did a ton of research and put these podcasts together. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I have my share of knowledge. I know Brandon and Jason, they have their share of knowledge as well. So we're right. doing what we can. And this is, but this is fun. I'm hoping people enjoy this. Uh, yeah, and it will. I think we will get a little more vocal on. Oh yeah, well, well, yeah, we have a lot. Because you got to remember, all of us. I mean, I was born in '74, so I mean, even though I go back and watch this stuff, I mean, I, I was born, I was born the year that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the original, came out. So I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was working backwards. So yeah, there, there, are, there are plenty of <laughs> yeah. many. There are many leather-bound books that you can read about these old movies that will do a better job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, then yeah, I, I guess I'm just gonna wrap it up because this is you know we can only do so much and I've, this really is just more pumped me up to like watch some of it because I have a lot of these movies, um like the, the Universal's released that the a couple horror sets at this point that I have. Are, yeah, I highly recommend the, the the Blu-ray box set the Universal put out yeah, a year yeah, or two did. ago. Get yeah, the got, get the um the UK one is you know much uh, much much cheaper for some reason and has. Um, slightly more stable packaging too for a lot less money than what they're charging in the US and it's region free so you can play it in your player but um, yeah that's a, that's a really good set I, I, I'm dying for them to release a second but then they decided oh let's release everything again on DVD this year which I don't understand and I wrote a pissy article about it one <laughs> that you can find in the archives at wiselblue.com but um, yeah I, I pine for Universal to 
keep put out a volume two. I understand, you know, after one year, then you release, you know, them solo. I, I get that, but that's a great like cheat for me to get like all that artwork too, because they put out those booklets that mm-hmm. have all the descriptions, that have all the posters from all those movies. Yeah, I got like like uh, cards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just always really neat to you know collect. Um, so yeah, okay, let's uh, let's wrap it up then this week uh, for this first uh, bonus horror episode for the month. Uh, next week. Uh, we will be talking about the uh, 50s through 60s, and we'll get out, that'll bring us into kind of the sci-fi era, the Corman era, 3D, Vincent Price, and a lot more. Um, showmanship, showmanship. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, all, let's just watch Matinee. Let's do that. We'll come back. We'll be fresh. I love that stuff, man. I think yeah. I, I, that, to me, you know, I mean, 3D is it's great. It's, you know, I mean, I, what they're, I, I don't think, that, the difference is I don't think they're trying to do 3D like they did it before. You know, 3D, they're doing it 3D now just to make money. He was doing it to enhance your experience. And to me, that was what that, the, you know, that era was about, was, you know, showing showmanship and, and showing people, hey, if you come out to the theater, you're going to get a beyond the norm experience and i i still think that if you had that today that people would come out and it would and you wouldn't have to use band-aids like like 3d or like the 4d thing where you have the thing in front of your face and stuff i, I i'm a firm strong believer in showmanship so i i'm very excited to talk about that era and back then you even had the confidence in films that could just be called them <laughs> <laughs> so awesome <laughs> All right, so with all that said, uh, Jason Col- Coleman, where can people find more of your work on the Internet? Uh, so you can go to uh, to StarPulse.com, and I do various th- various uh, interviews and reviews and things like that. And like I said, the thing I'm most proud of is the uh, Forgotten Friday flick. So every Friday I put up a, uh, a particular uh, film that you probably haven't heard of and is very good. Um, this, this month I'm going to uh, focus on, since it is Halloween, I'm going to focus on the films of Frank Henenlotter. So Basket Case, uh, Brain Damage, Frank and Hooker, Bad Biology, you name it, it'll be up there Frank and Hooker yeah. <laughs> Brandon people where can people find more of your work you can find my work at Naptown Nerd which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com and you can check out my Blu-ray reviews at whysoblue.com and if you watch Sleepy Hollow or you don't and you just like to hear Aaron and I talk you can check out the Ichabod Cranecast on HHWLOD Podcast Network well, second that as well. And, of course, you can find my work at thecodazeek.com. That's my personal site where you can find all my film reviews and all the podcasts that I do. Also, at Why So Blue, just like Brandon. And you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, this, of course, has been out now there today. It's available on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Podomatic.com, HHWLOD.com. That is the network that hosts this show. Um, there's plenty of other ways to reach us. Of course, we have our Facebook page dot com slash outnowpodcast, Twitter at outnow underscore podcast, and you can email us outnowpodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know your thoughts on you know the early days of horror or what you're looking forward to in this what I hope is a very successful bonus series of episodes. Um, and with that said, Brandon, Jason, thank you for joining me for this initial podcast episode. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for having, uh, yeah, thanks for having us. And I, I really would like to see, you know, maybe somewhere in the eighties, eighties to nineties. I'd like to see Abe in here somewhere and get his, uh, get his. I'm sure he's seen some films in that era. That we'll work on that films. when we when we schedule things when we get to when we get to that nineties. I'm pretty sure he's yeah. good on the nineties, like nineties, two thousands. I think he, and he, I mean, he, he sees horror movies. Like he, he right. he's, he's seen a lot of horror movies. I mean, seventies in particular. There's you know, there's plenty of classics there. Um, so yeah, I, I'll see, I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I can rope Abe into one of these bonus episodes as we. <laughs> figure the schedule out clear and clear but hopefully cool. next time you'll meet the three of us and jimmy as well so i mean we'll be indeed add one more to this pile uh but yeah until next uh, next friday when the next episode pops out that's been this uh, first episode of out now's bonus horror special so until next time so long and goodbye in the castle east to the
the master bedroom where the vampires sleep. All the ghouls came from their humble abodes to get a jolt from my electro. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It got on in a flash. The monster mash. He did the monster mash. The zombies, they were having fun. And the party had just begun. The guests included the wolf man. Dracula.